Hi, I'm Carrie Butler, and you're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I have a special offer for my listeners. You can get my new course at carriebutlercoach.com slash broadwaypodcast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Once I played a penny who just couldn't stop the beat. Yes, with roller skates on her feet. Of course, it's recently deceased. A real cool mom. Musical version of Tina Fey. Tina Fey. Now come with me and fly. I am your host, Miss Carrie Butler. Together, you and I are breaking. everyone. Welcome back to Breaking Broadway. I am starting something exciting. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but it is based on Breaking Broadway. So I would love it if you would share your email uh, at kerrybutlercoach at gmail.com. And then once we're ready, we will fill you in on all the exciting details. I am so excited for my guest today, one of my favorite people in the whole world. You know her. She starred in Wicked, in Hamilton, and the first time I feel like I saw her was in In the Heights, and I just fell in love with her. She is one of my all-time favorite voices that I've ever heard and was just so natural and real. She gave such a stunning performance in In the Heights. And I am so, so excited to call her my friend because she is such a good person. And stay tuned because I feel like this is going to be a super inspiring episode of Breaking Broadway. Welcome, Mandy Gonzalez. Yay. Hi, Carrie. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Yay. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so excited for you. This is awesome. (laughs) Not for you to talk to me, but Ah, your whole podcast and like, I'm so excited for you. It is so excited to talk to you because we (laughs) haven't gotten together as much as we've wanted. (laughs) I know. I know. It's so true. Um, So tell everybody about your start. You grew up in California, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I grew up in uh, California, in Southern California. And when did you decide that you wanted to be an actor? What made you? Well, you know, I grew up, um, both of my parents worked all the time. They both had full-time jobs, uh, like you do. And uh, I spent a lot of time with my my grandma. 
she babysat us. Uh, my I'm the youngest of three. And during that time, you know, there was always music playing in the house. My dad was a huge uh, Elvis Presley fan. <laughs> and so his day off was on Sundays. Uh, he worked at a glass plant uh, called Thatcher Glass when they still made glass bottles and things like that, which are coming back. Uh-huh. But uh, that was a big reason that we moved to this certain part of California, which is Santa Clarita, which a lot of people know now is the Santa Clarita diet, um, oh, where they right. eat people, which they don't do that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but that's, that's like where I grew up. And um, so Sundays was our day off. And my mom was just like, you know, I need a day off too. So you watch the kids on Sunday. So um, how he watched, how he watches is we had a laser disc. Do you remember uh-huh. what yes, those were? Yes, yes. Um, before VHS and all these mm-hmm. things. And um, he had Elvis movies, like Elvis 68 <laughs> comeback and things like that. So my brother and I, my sister was older, so she did her own thing. But my brother and I would sit on the couch and watch uh, Elvis 68 comeback. And um, I, I loved Elvis. Like oh. my brother loved all the karate stuff, but I loved like his voice and all that. So though there was always music playing around my house. Like music was always a part of it. Um, but my grandma watching us, uh, my grandma was really into music and really into musical theater and old, you know, mm-hmm. like Broadway show tunes and especially um, big torch singers, uh, big belters. So uh-huh. Judy Garland was constantly playing Edie Gourmet. Uh, just uh, Ethel Merman was huge uh, <laughs> as a part of my grandma's, you know, her canon of music. Yeah. And I fell in love with music. Uh, by listening to her and the way that she would sing was so um, entertaining Mm -hmm. to me and exciting that I wanted to sing with her. And I was really the only grandkid that did that. And so she said, oh, well, (laughs) what's this? And I had a really big voice and and she was the first person that kind of saw that and said, oh, Mandy, you you have talent. And that Mm -hmm. kind of was like, oh, you know, being the third kid, you're kind of like, you know, hey, don't yeah. forget, like, right. I'm, I'm here, right. you know? I mean, my parents were awesome, but it was like, yeah. you know, you had to fight for attention a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so that became my way of feeling like, oh, I have this thing that mm-hmm. other people don't have. How and old were you when she discovered that? Uh, I say I was about five years old wow. when that happened, like mm-hmm. five or six. And um, and then I started to have to sing, like, she would make me sing at, like, all the family functions. <laughs> Like just <laughs> yes, old, yes, I you know, to which all the you know too. very well. And so I did that. And I don't come from a showbiz family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, but my, you know, my grandma had no idea like <laughs> what to do. And right. so there was a dinner theater down the street from her house called the Showboat Dinner Theater. And she used to take my brother and I, again, my sister was doing her own thing. And, you know, the thing about a dinner theater is that you get to eat Yes. And then see a show. Mm-hmm. And they had all you can eat pickles. And my brother and I <laughs> love, love pickles. And so he didn't complain and he would go. And my grandma. Um, go for the pickles. Stay for Mandy Gonzalez. <laughs> absolutely. And um, and so we saw Manna La Mancha this one time. And uh, my grandma went up to the woman that played Aldonza. And I mean, my grandma was very gutsy and was just like, I have a granddaughter that sings, do you teach lessons and this and that? And that became my first singing teacher. And wow. uh, and I loved it. And I started that, I guess, when I was about seven years old. But the love of theater and the love of singing started at a very young age. And it's because of my parents' love of music and mostly because of my grandma. So you didn't even 
like fall in love with Broadway. You fell in love with dinner theater in a way. Yes, I definitely fell in love with the dinner theater and then old Broadway cast albums like right. uh, Anything Goes, anything that Ethel Merman was in we listened to. And then I really fell in love with uh, Judy Garland. My grandma's, one of her favorite albums was uh, Judy Garland Live at Carnegie Hall. I know that album by heart. I know that album too. Yes. And it's the album that I listen to when there's turbulence on a plane. And I feel like, okay, if this is it, like I'm going down. Oh, (laughs) I'm going down with Judy. But um, yeah, so I fell in love with uh, just the, I guess the storytelling of music and, uh, yeah, people just belting it to the yeah. to the back of the rafters. When did you first start performing? Oh gosh, like professionally? I yeah, mean, or anything? What was your first um, first performance? I guess it was through that dinner theater. <laughs> you know, I um, my grandma got you know very into it, and then um, I got cast as Bielka in Fiddler on the Roof. I was when Bielka I- in college. <laughs> If you don't know, that's like the sister with two lines. Yes, the sister with two lines. I loved it. I loved it because I was the youngest. Everybody would just like carry me and it was just like so awesome. But that was my first um, performance was at the dinner theater. And I remember my grandparents being in the front row um, of that dinner theater. And then um, again, my grandma looked in the paper and there was a group that was having auditions and it was a group called uh, Rock Theater. And I auditioned for it and uh, and I started to perform and they did rock music and oh. theater. Oh. And all of a sudden I was with other kids that really liked doing what I did and mm-hmm. liked the kind of music that I did and introduced me to all this other new kind of theater, you know, that I didn't listen to, like more yeah. contemporary stuff. Right. And uh, and I started to perform with them and we performed all around Los Angeles, but it was really like uh, every Saturday yes. we'd go and we would rehearse and, mm-hmm. um, and then it would have maybe once a week or something when I got really into it as well. But that was like my my safe space, I guess. Were the other kids really talented too, or were you kind of the star? No, the other kids were really talented. Uh-huh. At least, you know, I thought they yeah. were all like super talented and they were older than me. Uh huh. So I was just really into it. Um, I remember at that time, like it was like all about Janet Jackson and, <laughs> you know, control and, and all those kind of things. And a lot of the kids were like in high school or in middle school. And so they were listening to all this music that I wasn't listening to at home. And so I wanted to kind of be part of that and, you know, learn all the dances and, yeah, you know, things like that. So what was your first professional job then? Uh, I would say my first professional job. Um, Gosh. When I, I guess when I was a kid, my first thing was I did Star Search. <gasps> oh my yeah, God. Yeah. I used to watch Star Search all the time. Yes. So for the young people listening, Star Search was kind of like, um, what's that show that's on now? Not America's Got Talent. Uh, um, America. Like one of those voice yeah, shows. Yeah, like Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, where she yeah, won. yeah, yeah, and- yeah. American Idol. It was like American Idol. Totally. But I was like, oh my gosh, like if American Idol had been out when- you know, I was growing up, it's just, it's so much bigger than Star Search was, you know, even though Star Search was so huge, it's like, oh my gosh, like I can't even imagine, but I would have been one of those kids in line. 
Yeah. With my grandma, like trying to <laughs> get on the show <laughs> and I mean, probably singing some show tune or something when I went in to audition. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> yeah, I-, I don't know how my grandma got me that audition, uh, but she did. Again, I uh, th- we had no idea what we were doing. I didn't yeah. have an agent. I didn't have any of that that stuff. But I remember having just a very strong sense of uh, self uh-huh. and wanting to, you know, make it in yeah. whatever way. And I remember Star Search. I mean, it was such a big deal. And yeah. I I rehearsed the songs with uh, the director from Rock Theater. I remember we picked the songs together. Mm-hmm. And my the song that I sang um, was Birth of the Blues by Sammy Davis Jr., of course, because I was a huge fan. <laughs> and... Um, and then I remember my parents were in the audience. My brother, my poor brother had to go to everything <laughs> that I possibly did. Mm-hmm. And um, and I lost, oh. you know. I remember being on the stage oh. and, uh, you know, singing my heart out and feeling like, you know, I, you know, I killed it. Yeah. And then, you know, because I was in the kids uh, that department, but that yeah. uh, that, that part eight. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like 11 and I was super tall and, you know, I didn't look like a kid, you know, uh-huh. and then I was against a kid that, you know, looked like a kid and he was great. But anyway, the thing was, is that I lost. And I remember when they, um, they put the numbers up, yeah. you know, Oof. I remember looking at my mom because you couldn't see them. They were like behind you. Oh. And I remember my mom's face being like, ah, oh. you know, just, yeah. I'm so upset. And yeah. I tell her that to this day. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. And she Aww. felt so bad. But I remember, like, walking out of there when I did lose and being like, oh, my God, I just lost. I can't believe this. And it was kind of like you're in a daze. Yeah. And then I just automatically started crying. And it was, like, oh. super dramatic. Yeah. And I was really good friends with the kids that were going to be doing the dance part. Uh-huh. And they were really upset. And uh, their teacher came up to me and said, you know, they're really upset and they have to go on next. Do you think you could go and give them like a pep talk that you're okay and like all that kind of stuff? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, they'll be fine. And then I went into the room and I was like, you guys are going to do great. I love you. It was just like so, it was so awful. But then I I remember, you know, I had told everybody at school. Yeah. That I was going to be on Star Search yeah. and it was going to be this big thing. And I remember not wanting to go to school Aww. the next day because I was so embarrassed. And yeah. my mom was like, you know, this is part of it. And you yes. have to go to school and yes. you have to like put your head up and you tell them like, you know, yeah, but I was on it, you know. Yes, and that's right. That, and that was like a first for me of like working through the fear of something Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of- And the rejection. And the rejection and having to, you know, hold my head up high and be like, yeah, I lost. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely something that taught me uh, a lot about myself. Mm -hmm. But that was my first professional thing where I got paid. That's so great. That's (laughs) such a good story. I always feel like I had a lot of rejection when I was younger too. And I feel like that set me up for- our career now because it's so much about, it's not even as much about talent, but how you can deal with rejection. Totally. Totally. And just be, um, I don't know, gracious with Mm -hmm. the, within that. And also it teaches you how to fight a little bit harder. Yes. And I think, you know, we, nobody wants to see their kid have rejection or go through that, but um, if you have parents like like I did, I, I feel like I was very lucky because 
they didn't know about anything. They just knew like how they grew up. And it was like, all right, Mandy, like dust it off, yeah, you know, and keep going. And I think because I was the only one in my family that was into performing mm-hmm. um, at that time, you know, and my brother was into sports and my sister was into like, you know, Duran Duran and going to <laughs> right. concerts, you know, because she was like yeah. a teenager and she was into writing and all those kind of things. It wasn't like I was, you know, I was special, but I wasn't like, oh, man, it's all about right. Mandy. It's right. like, no, Mandy, like, I got to go to my, I got to go to work and you and Tony need to go to school and, right. you know. You didn't have stage parents. No. Oh, my right. God, no. Right. Thank goodness, you know, I yeah. watch, um, what's that, Dance Moms? Yes, yes, yes. We're very into that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at home and I'm just like, oh, my God. You know, I love it. But I remember my mom going to things with me and not rock theater, but like other you know, studios that I had done stuff at. And she was like, I can't wait in the waiting room. Like, it's just too much, you know, because these parents all talk about their kids and all this kind of stuff. She'd send my grandma Uh and my grandma didn't care. She could hardly hear them, you know, (laughs) talking about stuff. And my grandma would just be like, it doesn't bother me. Like I'll go and sit and, you know, but, um, yeah, my, my parents were not into that at all. Yeah. My parents weren't either. Um, I lucked out. Yeah. How do you deal with rejection now? Because we still get rejected every single day, right? You you oh think God. like with our careers, people, mm-hmm. I feel like people think like, oh, they, people just offer them jobs all the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, it was like, um, it's a reality check. I think when I, I remember one reality check was I was going to an audition in uh, New York you know, when before a uh, pandemic, when you still would go oh, yeah. and audition in yeah. rooms. And uh, and I remember seeing my, you know, one of my best friends, Priscilla Lopez, uh, walking out. And I was like, oh, Priscilla, you're here auditioning? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm here auditioning. Like, the woman has, um, you know, a Tony Chorus Award. Line, she's right? been nominated, like, multiple times. Yeah. She has done TV, film, and yet yeah. she still has to go into the room. And it was just kind of like, It never ends, you know? It never ends. And it's never easy. No. Rejection is always hard, especially, I don't know about you, but when something comes up always that you're not expecting and it's like, oh my gosh, they want you and you're the one and this and that. And it's yours. I remember somebody saying like, it's yours to lose. Yes. And and then I go into the room and I'm like, oh my God, this is it. And then there's somebody else there all of a sudden. And you're like, wait a minute, like, I thought this was mine. Like, what happened? And then you go home and you get that call of, I didn't get it. And you just are like, oh my God, like, well, that really sucks. And you're really depressed. Mm -hmm. And then um, the next day you get another audition and you're like, well, maybe this is the one. Well, F them. Like, I'm going to get this job instead. (laughs) You know, it's uh, one of my friends, my friend Andrea, I can say that she said it because uh, she said it on a documentary, my friend Andrea Burns, but it's like a disease. Like, you just kind of keep going for this, this dream of whatever it is, you know, yeah. it's like the rejection, it's, it's all part of it. And, yes. uh, it's part of this up and down that mm-hmm. for some reason we are a part of and yeah. we love. Yeah. 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 It's true. It keeps it exciting. It does keep it exciting. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any tricks for how you deal with rejection? Um, it's gosh. a little bit easier as you get older and have kids, I feel like, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because um, but now it's, really- it's about like how am I going to pay for college? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I remember when my daughter was younger and I was up for cats. 
Uh-huh. You know, I was up for the revival of Cats or whatever. And I remember going into that, um, to those auditions, and I talked to her about it. My husband mm-hmm. and I were like, yeah, mom's going to go in for Cats, and this is what it is. And she was just like, oh, what's Cats? This is so exciting. Even though, you know, that was like one of my first shows that I ever saw, like oh. at the Pantages uh-huh. Theater. Um yeah. My grandma took me and I remember they came out with like these flashlights with cat eyes and I thought it was like the most amazing thing. And I remember um, talking to her about this Cats and I didn't get the job. And um, I remember Cats the movie had come out Mm -hmm. around that same time. And so we went and saw it and she loved it. Like people didn't like that, you know, movie as much, but she loved it. And um, I remember when I got Hamilton I said, oh, I got Hamilton, you know. Um, she goes, did you get the cat? Is this the cats? The cats? She called it. And I was just like, that ping of rejection, like, still yeah. was there. And I was like, no, I, I, I didn't get no, the cats. No, I didn't get cats. <laughs> Don't bring but up cats again. <laughs> but it was just like, you know, it's, it makes you laugh because you're just like, it's not the end all. Yeah, You know, and I think going through everything that I've been through in my life, it still hurts to get rejected for jobs. But it, I remind myself like, okay, Mandy, this is like, there's something else around the corner. And the longer you're in this business, the more you realize that, um, that that's just what it is. And it sucks. And it, oh, it's always going to suck, but it sucks a little bit, uh, shorter amount of time. It takes a little bit of, uh. Less time away from your life. Yeah. Let's talk about what you just went through. This series right now is on um, getting through eight shows a week. And you got through eight shows a week as with cancer. Yes. It's crazy. And I just, I I, I can't believe that you did that. You were doing the show while going to your treatments during the pandemic too. Yes. It was insane, Carrie. I mean, um, a big part of uh, my... Being able to go through it was uh, the stage that I was diagnosed at, the chemo treatments that they were able to put me on at that time. Um, you know, it was I was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, after my first mammogram, and I was in complete shock because uh, nobody in my family had ever been diagnosed. I was the wow. first in my family, hopefully the last. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I, at that time I was playing Angelica in Hamilton and I remember, you know, like you do when you're in a show, you don't have time to go to the doctor, yes. you know, self-care and yeah. your mom, like you don't have time to take care of yourself. Like yeah. what is, what is that? But I'm grateful that I went and mm-hmm. I remember, um, getting that phone call. I was, uh, in between shows and I remember getting that phone call and then having to go and do a show that night and oh being my like, gosh. okay, but I think that there was something about the show must go on mentality yeah. that I have that honestly- We both have that. Yeah. yeah it honestly, um, it saved me because I made the decision that early on, and I'm lucky I could have made, I could make that mm-hmm. decision that cancer was going to be one part of my life, but it wasn't going to take all of my life. Mm. And I think that if it had took- um, my ability to perform away from me that I would have been uh, doubly like devastated wow. and because it gave me a focus yes, and it gave me a community uh-huh. um, to, to be around that supported me. And I was very private about when I was diagnosed, I wanted to kind of keep it to myself. But then as I went on and I learned more about uh, 
you know, what was what was happening. And I learned more about cancer and uh, how Latinas have been treated uh, through treatment and how a lot of times uh, we get diagnosed at a later stage because mm. uh, uh, historically we have a distrust of doctors. Uh, mm. There's a language barrier. Mm. Uh, my aunt, uh, who did pass from cancer, uh, not breast cancer, but she passed away from lung cancer. I, I got to learn a little bit more about her diagnosis. Uh, she passed when she was 47 and she had pain and she did not go to the doctor. And I think um, I wanted to represent and uh, be a voice for mm -hmm. my community. And I knew in order to do that, I had to be honest about my diagnosis. And that was hard, you know? Yeah. yeah. But once I was, I felt this weight kind of lifted oh. off of me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did get so much support from my the company at Hamilton, but mm. also from my friends in the Broadway community. You were one of the friends that reached out to me and we actually became really a lot closer. Um, yeah. I felt like through that, uh, you'd be surprised at how many people um, can also reject you wow. when you come out with that kind of diagnosis um, because for some reason they, you get the impression, at least I did, mm -hmm. that you feel like it's contagious <gasps> yeah. or something like, yeah. oh, well, she must have brought it upon herself or, mm. you know, mm. or something like that. So when you have those friends that do reach out to you, that, that do tell you I'm here and uh, it like, sorry. I know but I'm going to. <laughs> no, but it really, um, it makes a difference in your life. And I remember you dropping off snacks to me at the theater and um just those little like gestures like you gave me a couple books that really like spoke to me oh during that time and honestly um uh, I love you so much and I love you I think that um that was like amazing amazing Ooh. and uh <laughs> you're an amazing friend and I just uh on that I think uh I needed that Mm -hmm. You know, as strong as I am and as much as I talk about, you know, having no fear, that was such a, a painful time for me. Yeah. And then when the pandemic happened and Broadway shut down and I still had to go to to treatment, yeah. you know, in the city, and I was really scared and all those things, I still had people from the Broadway community reaching out to me and checking in on me. And uh, yeah, it saved me. It wow. really did. It really did. So I think going through that, when I was able to perform, um, I had started treatment because of uh, uh, my certain Onc-type test. For those that don't know, it's uh, an Onc-type test is something that they can give to you now because of research um, where they can test the tumor to see, the, um, to see how much uh, percentage of a chance it has of recurring. And that determines whether you're going to need additional treatment besides surgery. And mine was at a, a range in my age that I needed uh, chemotherapy and radiation. And uh, and I was like, all right. And I found an oncologist and he was like, okay, Mandy, you're this is going to be hard, but you're tougher than this. Mm. And I'm going to make sure you can perform. And I remember, um, you know, having issues and times when I had to sit down uh, after I sang a song or things like mm -hmm. that, but they had a chair waiting for me. And, mm. you know, I remember after my surgery, I had a lumpectomy and afterwards um, I couldn't lift my arm. 
for the work pose. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I felt very like exposed. Yeah. Because I was like, oh my gosh, like that's such a famous pose. People are going to know. Yeah. You know? And yeah. uh, I remember talking to my stage manager and she's like, well, you lift it as high as you can. And then eventually you'll be able to lift it again. And, and I did. But um, that was a very much like me having to tell myself it's okay. Yes. It's okay. Um, and I think that's something that we have a hard time doing. Mm-hmm. As performers, eight shows a week, yeah. um, a lot of, you know, a lot of younger performers will ask me, well, what do you do if you get sick? What do you do if this happens and this happens? And there has to be a grace that you give yourself yeah. as a person that it's not going to be the same eight shows right. a week. And right. you never know what somebody's going through and um, you just have to do your best, you know, for that mm-hmm. that show, you yeah. know, and uh, and I feel... Like that's something that I learned going through cancer, you know, but it's something that I learned even before that Yeah, with my, you know, because when you sing shows like we sing, yeah, there's a lot that is expected of us, Mm -hmm. you know, we're expected to hit those notes eight shows a week. And, um, it's like you build this like fearlessness of like, yes, I can do this. And, Mm -hmm. But there are those moments where you're like, man, I don't feel good today. And yeah, my voice is tired. Yeah. And or you even have phlegm and you can't just get through no. it. No. And it's like, oh, all of a sudden it's like, well, um, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't mm-hmm. I do these things? And then you just go, oh, right. I'm a human. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, I think there definitely has to be room for that uh, for a performer to know that it's work. Yeah. What we do is work. And some days it's really great. And you feel like, uh, I always feel like uh, that movie, The Black Swan, uh-huh. it always like resonated for me because it's like that end where she, I don't know if everybody <laughs> felt this way about Black Swan, but <laughs> at the end when she dies, it's like she has the performance of her life. <laughs> and I felt like as a performer, I know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. You know what it feels like to just feel like you gave everything and it was exposed and open and, oh my gosh, like it's going to be the same tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, now we're in the yeah. in the groove of the show. And as much as you want it to always be like that first mm-hmm. time, yeah. you got to find what it is every time, you yeah. know, and it doesn't always have to be that, that yeah. same thing. And that's yeah. okay, you know? Yeah, even the audience affects what happens on stage. They're a part of it. Absolutely. When you're like, oh my gosh, they hate us. Like, yeah, yeah. They're not laughing at the yeah, same thing. Yeah, you things. don't want to take it personally, but it's still, it does affect the whole show. Right. And then they stand up at the end and they're like, yeah, this I is know. the best thing I ever saw in my life. And you're like, oh my God, they're amazing. <laughs> they were, Thank they you. They were just quiet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How did you get through that time? Did you, I mean, you didn't even have time to really do self-care things, right? And do the show. I didn't, I think, but that was good for me, you know, um, because, you know, after you have treatment, um, it's like, for me, it was two weeks in between treatment. So when you first have your treatment, the first three days were still good because of, you know, what you have to do afterwards and the, you know, the medications that you have to take. And then the fourth and fifth day were really hard. And those days I would call out because my body just could not take it. And, um, but in the beginning, it, I just fought through it and I would be like, okay, I'm feeling these cramps or I'm feeling 
you know, because for me, it affected me a lot in my back. Um, I had a lot of cramps in my back that happened because of treatment. And, um, and it was really hard to just, you know, be in heels and on a turntable and all those kind of things. But I think, you know, a lot of it, even when my back hurt, I would just go, okay, Mandy, you have to breathe from your core and your diaphragm. And I would just focus. I would just, some of the performances I was like, oh my God, like I'm so in it. You know, I would just, wow. yeah, I would just get into that place that I needed to go. And, but I think that it was that, that the show must go on and I have to, I have to keep going. And it wasn't until the pandemic happened and I stopped that I realized how much I needed to stop. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like I realized um, I needed to take time to heal. Mm -hmm. I need it. And I watched, um, the thing that I watched was I watched every episode of Cheers, <laughs> which they have 12 seasons, <sighs> if, for those of you that don't know. And uh, that became my my thing. You know, I had treatment, yeah. then I would watch Cheers. And I, I just needed to be. I needed to, mm -hmm. you know, and at that time, my daughter was doing homeschool because school was closed. And yeah. I needed to be there for her mm -hmm. and for my husband because, it, you know, cancer what I've learned is it's a not, um, my friend, my friend, James Monroe Eigelhart says it's the best. It's not a me disease. It's a we disease mm. because it affects everybody that loves you. And, um, and it was really hard for them. And I think me being there for them was more important than me being, uh, on a stage wow. at that time. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself during that time. And, and then, you know, I got to I got to heal and I got to heal with my family and then like you I think you know what do you do as a performer when you can't perform when you're a live performer and this right. is what you do and right. and so I started to get um people started to reach out from uh, to me from the cancer community uh BCRF I became a member of their board oh. uh, which is Breast Cancer Research Foundation uh, research is the reason. And uh, it is. And I, it was wonderful because they threw a gala for me during that time to honor me. Oh, and, right. uh, and I called all my friends, mm -hmm. you were there mm -hmm. and asked them to sing. And that became part of my next, my next journey, uh -huh. which was advocacy. Yeah. And um, I started to use my voice for that. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the thing that I missed the most about performing was the connection. And yes. how can I do that behind, you know, a screen? Mm -hmm. And so I figured out how to do that and how to reach out to people online and other, because I was very open about my diagnosis, other patients were reaching out to me with their own stories. And, um, and so I felt like I built a new community for myself, which was really good. That's awesome. And in, in all of this time, when did you have time to write your books? Mandy is also <laughs> an amazing writer, and she has this whole series called Fearless. It's, yes. Their third book is coming out. Yes, I just got the advanced copy. Ah, <laughs> I'll be sending it your way. But yes, I um, I started writing. I, I've been writing forever, and I started to write uh, children's stories. That's really where my mind always went to. Um, I started to do a lot more of that when my daughter was born. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about this, but mm -hmm. after you have a child um, and then you decide that you are ready to go back to work in our business, 
a lot of times you're met with um, a new, you're put into a new category. You're put into a new thing of like, well, now you're a mom. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to auditions and uh, people would ask me, uh, casting directors, directors inappropriately, like, well, how old is your daughter now? And I would tell them, oh, she's, you know, six months, eight months. And I would get this look of, oh, oh wow. Like, like, oh, that's going to be hard for us, you know? Oh. And I just felt like it was this whole other thing, um, a whole other part of rejection for me. Uh-huh. And so I remember spending a lot of time with her and just all these stories would come to me. Mm-hmm. And so I started to write about them and I started to write about, characters that I would want to see. Mm-hmm. Characters, um, the library was my favorite place when I was a kid. And it was the place that my mom would take us and say, you can get anything you want, you know, and drop us off with our card. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the library <laughs> yeah, card yeah, and we had to sign the book. Mm-hmm. And it was my haven, you know, and I would constantly look for books and for characters that looked like me. And I didn't have um, a lot that I could find. And so when I started to write my book, I started to write about people in my life. And, uh, and a lot of those people were friends that I had worked with on, on Broadway. And their stories, the thing I love about people that you meet in the theater, people that you meet on Broadway, you, everybody comes from somewhere else, yeah, you know, and, or they grow up in New York and mm. that's their story. And, but their story is so different than mine. And I always find it so incredibly fascinating. And so I started to write stories about it. And one of the stories uh, that I started to write was um, stories about Relly, um, who is inspired um, by my best friend, Darrell Grand Moultrie. Uh, and we shared a dressing room together um, during Aida. Mm-hmm. Um, my first Broadway show, I was uh, an understudy for Adina Menzel. Mm-hmm. And he was a swing. And, you know, they put us all in like the same room. It uh-huh. doesn't matter. And we shared a mirror. And I remember whenever somebody said something shady, like we would just look at each other and we just bonded. And I, he grew up in Harlem, like a totally different life than I grew up in. And I felt like I want to write stories about, you know, um, what I think that life is, was like, or what mm-hmm. I think, uh, what a children's book would be like for me. So one of the first stories I wrote was this story called Relly Shoes which was never published. Oh. Um, but I absolutely went to every editor. I sent it to everybody. And I remember getting rejected a lot, mm-hmm. um, I think by everybody. And, uh, but I got a lot of incredible notes uh, from those uh, publishing houses that I took to heart. And a lot of the things that people kept saying was keep writing. Oh. And write every day. And so I did. And finally, um, somebody said yes. And that happened when I first started uh, at Hamilton in 2017. I um, I went to a book reading at uh, one of my favorite bookstores in Manhattan and um, a children's bookstore. And I met, uh, I started to talk to this, this woman at the reading and she happened to be a literary agent. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I have these stories, you know, that I've been writing. And she said, why don't you send them to me? And I did. And she said, yes. And then, oh, wow. um, yeah, and then that journey, the fearless journey kind of began with um, mm-hmm. this character of Monica Garcia, a girl from a small town in California <laughs> who grew up with a love of singing and, and dreams of Broadway. And she travels with her abuelita 
to New York and they have their Broadway adventure and she starts as the understudy to the understudy, (laughs) which I didn't know was a job (laughs) when we first started, but that definitely is a position. (laughs) And, um, and it's about her adventures and her meeting her fearless squad, which includes Relly Morton and Hudson Patel and April De Silva. And every book I wanted to write about that fearless squad. So my first book follows Monica Garcia. My second book follows Relly Morton into mm. Harlem and his journey into the past and learning about his uh, grandfather, Grandpa Gregory, who is one of my biggest inspirations, Gregory Aww. Hines. Uh, he was one of my teachers when I was uh, wow. 15 years old. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so it's all these people from my life that um, you never know, Carrie, you might end up in <laughs> books. But um, it's all these people from my life and I just get to create this whole world that I just find so interesting. You know, mm-hmm. Relly's story, he goes through a pothole in <laughs> in between 44th and 45th Street. And he um, when he comes out of the pothole and onto the other side, he's in the 1950s. And oh, so cool. I love that. And then this new book that's coming out, Hudson Patel, he grew up in uh, New York City and he has a love of baking and cooking as well as performing. And he feels kind of guilty about having two different interests. And, and so many people that I have met that work in the theater have yes. so many different interests. Yes. And I want young people to know that it's okay yes. to like other things mm-hmm. and to feel just as passionate about those things. You don't have to choose just right. one thing. No, And I think um, that story kind of developed out of that need to express that. I love that. I love that. And you have the whole Fearless Squad on your Instagram, right? I do. You started the whole Fearless Squad. So I could talk to Amanda Gonzalez literally all day. Um, (laughs) But uh, I should end our interview now and let you go on with all of the things that you have to do today. Um, But let everyone know where they can find you on Instagram. Yes, at uh, Mandy.Gonzalez on Instagram, or you can find me at MandyGonzalez.com. And um, yeah, the books are called Fearless. Mm -hmm. Fearless by Simon & Schuster. Do you have anything else to plug? Um, I think my books right now is like the biggest thing. And, you know, I'm coming to a town near you. I'm doing a lot of concerts right now. Uh, I created a new concert series with um, my dear friend, Javier Munoz. And we're doing a new series called Hitting New Heights. And we have traveled so far. We went, we started, uh, I guess, last month in Los Angeles. I got to see my whole family. And uh, we're coming up. We're going to make a couple stops in Kentucky and in Indiana. So I'm really excited for that. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Mandy. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like me to come to your school or theater group and give a masterclass or a talk back, please reach out at carriebutlercoach.com. If you like this podcast and want more episodes, please go to bpn.fm slash breaking broadway and subscribe, like, or share. Together you and I are breaking Broadway. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.